You're listening to XVGM Radio.
Welcome to XVGM Radio, where the bits keep coming. I'm Mike. And I'm Justin. And this is episode 63, same song, different system. Yeah, uh, I've been waiting for this one for a long time. I mean, not waiting so per se, but like this this is one that I, I think we've talked about on and off. And keeps, keeps you up at night. It does, it yeah. does. <laughs> it, it's, it's a fun concept. A yeah. uh, l- little bit of, you know, I wouldn't say it's research heavy, but there was definitely a little bit of a little bit of effort that had to go into this. Yeah. But it was a lot. I, I, I enjoyed what I came out with. How about you? It's a different type of research. Yes, yes. You know what I mean? I, I enjoyed comparing the differences. I may not necessarily enjoy the differences themselves. So we'll get into that. That's but fair. Yeah. It's uh, been a while since we did a same song, different system. The last one we did was what? Th- episode seven? I think the only one we ever did was the C64 down... Downports? Oh, downports, yeah. Yeah, C sixty four downports. Oh, and the um the live episode that we did at the convention, the Genesis versus SNES. Oh yes. That's true. Yeah, that's technically that. same song, different system as well. I think yeah, that was it's just kind of a more of a battle. Yes. Because yes. it's specific systems. But yeah, we, we kept it loose and dirty this this episode. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we got a, a bunch of random tracks that we're going through from a bunch of random systems. Obviously nothing really like new. Because new stuff is you know, new. I'm going to be honest. I For like half a minute, yeah. I, I, I contemplated put, uh, putting in an Xbox 360 and a PS3 version, and they'd be exactly the same. <laughs> and I'd just be like, well, you know, same song, you different can, system. You, you can hear a little bit of fuzz in the PS3 version. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. But so obviously we, we are definitely talking about the ports between older consoles right. where there are discernible differences. For sure. Um, although that is not to say that everything is going to be smacking you in the face different. Oh, um, for sure. As the thing that we came in on was two very, very similar compositions of the same track. Yeah, very subtle differences that you can pick up on, but that was Mega Man 4 on the NES that we heard. That was the first track yep. that came out in 1991. That was Skullman's theme, yep. and it's by Minai Fuji and Yasuaki Fujita, also right. known as Bun Bun. <laughs> and then the second track that you heard that sounded very much like the first was from Mega Man 3 on the Game Boy. It came out in 1992, um, the Skullman track, as arranged by Koji Murata. Yes. It's interesting with those original Game Boy Mega Man games because they were always like like one game ahead slash behind <laughs> because like the Mega Man 4 bosses were in Mega Man 3 on the Mega Man 4 NES bosses were in Mega Man 3, three on the Game four. Boy and 4 right it, it's Cause like, it, it, it's always split like uh, yeah. it, it's it's four robot masters from one game and right. four from another right 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 but they never did 6 they never did a Mega Man 6 on the Game Boy. This was my favorite Mega Man handheld, actually. Oh, okay. Um, cool. I, I tried a couple of them. I didn't play all of them. Mm. Um, but this one, I, I think maybe just because of the Robot Master lineup, it, it had a really good lineup of yeah. Robot Masters. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they... So in, I don't know if it was introduced in 3 or 2 or where it came from, but the, the concept of the Mega Man Killer uh, bots. Oh. This one had a, a bot named Punk. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. I totally forgot about Punk. <laughs> These two versions of the song, I mean, it's a very energetic, like, Mm. Japanese action game music song that has the quintessential Mega Man galloping bass. Very Woodman-esque from Mega Man 2. You know, I love it. It's awesome. It's fantastic. (laughs) And it's probably one of, if not my favorite song off of Mega Man 4. That's fair. Uh, Skullman. Yeah, yeah, Skullman, maybe Dustman Mm. as well. 
I really like the subtle like 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 strings oh, yeah, in, the, yeah. in the beginning of that of that song of Dustman. <laughs> but this song just has so much energy and it really amps you up. And the Game Boy version, it's it's pretty much the same. Yeah, the the differences between these two are are very very subtle. Yeah. Um, as I was telling you before we started recording tonight, I I opened both tracks in Audacity and lined them up uh, and just played them at the same time. Mm. And the first chunk of the uh, of the song is like it, it's almost impossible to hear any differences. Like yeah. you play them if you, if you mute one or just like bounce back and forth, you mm. can hear the differences. <laughs> but it's really neat that if you actually put them together, it sound it it, it obviously sounds like the same song, but it it has elements from both and it sounds really cool. Yeah, yeah. Where, where it breaks apart though is when it gets out of that, like that main energetic mm-hmm. melody and into kind of the breakdown mm. or the break and they, they deviate a little bit there. Like the Game Boy version, I think you were saying uh, in the NES version, it's a, more of a Tom. It's more of a Tom drum. Yeah. yeah that do, do, do. Yeah. And they changed it to like a laser blast sound yeah, in yeah. the Game Boy version, which is still good. Yeah. It just... It sounds different, but what I really, really noticed about this Game Boy version is there's like a phase feature oh, where it's yeah, like yeah. where the part, the part in the song <laughs> right before the the Tom part where it goes do do right before that, there's a part where it's like do 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 do, and then it kicks into the da na 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 right yeah yeah so that do 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 it's got this weird like phase shift to it. Where like it's almost like the part of the song is like twisting, huh. like at, I don't know how they did that, but it sounds really cool. So that was something that really stood out for me as well. Other than the the toms being lasers, <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say I really like the lasers though. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. Yeah, uh, it reminds me when you were saying that you put two songs together and like tried to stack them and tried to play them. Mm-hmm. I did the same thing with Bloody Tears from Castlevania II Simon's Quest. Mm-hmm. And what I did was I took the Famicom Disk System version, which is, sli- I think it's slightly slower, if I recall. Oh. And I tried to, like, adjust the speed and, like, layer <laughs> them together. And when you got them to work together, they sounded really, really cool. But then it just goes so much slower that like yeah it, yeah. it was really hard to like combine them the right way i'll have to huh. play around with it more but like that was like this weird pet project that i tried to do <laughs> to like make a super version of the track so you were trying to layer the disc system version with the nes, NES version? version right oh. right huh. right yeah because i just wanted to know what it sounded like when you combined the two because the Famicom Disk System version has like some additional elements that the yeah. that the uh, NES version doesn't, but the NES version is way better. So, gotcha. anyways, uh, Mega Man Four is a game where you are playing as Mega Man and you are taking on Doctor Cossack instead of Doctor Wily. And then it turns out, oops, wait a minute, <laughs> Doctor Cossack was being controlled by Doctor Wily because. Oh no! They kidnapped his uh, Doctor Cossack's daughter, Kalinka. Who could have guessed? Who could have guessed? <laughs> my favorite—not to sidetrack too much—but my favorite Doctor Wily, like it was him the whole time, <laughs> is like in Mega Man Six mm-hmm. when it's very obvious that it's Doctor Wily, not Mister X, <laughs> and he's, it's literally just like Doctor Wily wearing a beard and sunglasses, <laughs> and he's like, "It's definitely not Doctor Wily." So. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That Dr. Wiley, man, he's a silly, silly guy. He is a cad. <laughs> he's a cad? 
something like that. <laughs> the composers on this NES version, mm-hmm. Minai Fuji, started off with this game as the uh, one of the composers. Super Buster Brothers in 92, Breath of Fire in 93, and their final game, they came back and did music for Mega Man 10 uh, to contribute uh, music to one of the songs on Mega Man 10. Mm. Yasuaki Fujita, a.k.a. Bun Bun, has done so much stuff. We talked a bunch about them on the Disney Capcom episode with Rhythm and Pixels. Yes, yes, we did. Yeah. Started off in 1989 with Final Fight and then worked on the best soundtrack ever, Mega Man 3 in 1990. Then followed it up with the Super NES Final Fight, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit in 91 on the Game Boy. I'm just going to jump ahead. They also worked on Breath of Fire in 93. Uh, and then later on, when after they left Capcom, they did work on Punky Skunk in 1996. Magical Tetris Challenge in 2000. Uh, their final game that they're credited for is Mega Man 10 as far as composition. But as far as, like, arrangements, it was Final Fight Double Impact in 2010, just, you know, hmm. credited for their original music, basically. Right, right. Yeah. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. So Mega Man 3 on the Game Boy was actually a bit hard to find information on uh, as the credits were not available on Moby Games and uh, the internet was... uh, It's always an interesting place to try to find information. But I I did find this information on VGMPF.com. But Koji Murata started out doing sound transplant on a game called Dragon Buster, which is an MSX2 game in 1987. Uh... Their work is kind of all over the place. They did sound effects on Elemental Shaolin on the Famicom Disk System, as well as uh, Monster Club on the on the Famicom. They did a, a music arrangement on Alman, Almana's Miracle on the Famicom Disk System in 1987. Title screen music on Bases Loaded 2 on the NES in 1988. Sound driver on Rabio Lepus Special, on the, which is a PC Engine game in 1990. And then uh, Mega Man 4... Game Boy in 1993, Mega Man 5, Game Boy in 1994, Mega Man The Wily Wars in 1994 as well. The last game that they are listed for is in 2001. It's uh, uh, Hunter x Hunter Michikareshi Mono it's uh, weird. for the Wonder Swan. That's weird that they worked on Wily Wars because uh, I believe Kinyo Yamashita of Castlevania fame worked on that. Yeah, I. Uh, so they, they are credited as sound effects on Wily, uh, on Wily Wars. Ah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's move into the first pick of the episode. Uh, I'm going to play for you Ninja Gaiden 3, The Ancient Ship of Doom. This came out on the NES in 1991. This track that we're going to hear is called Weapons Lab, and it's by Sugito Miyashiro, Kaori Nakabai, and Rika Shigino. Now, when we come back after the song, I will introduce as we usually do on these same song different system episodes, I'll introduce the next version of the song that we're going to hear.
All right, welcome back. That was Ninja Gaiden 3 Ancient Ship of Doom. It came out on the NES in 1991. That version was called Weapons Lab by Sugito Miyashiro, Kaori Nakabai, and Rika Shigino. We're going to listen now to the Ninja Gaiden Trilogy version, which came out on the Super NES in 1995. The track's name was changed to Laboratory, and the original composers are still the same. It does have an arranger, but I do not know who it is, so unknown. Welcome back. That was the Ninja Gaiden Trilogy, which came out in the Super NES in 1995. That track was called Laboratory. Same song, just different name. Uh, why they changed the name, I don't know. But yeah, it was originally composed by Sugito Miyashiro, Kaori Nakabai, and Rika Shigino. The arranger on that one is unknown. They probably... Were ashamed. Were ashamed. Yeah. So let's talk about the first one before we jump into the second one. first one was awesome. So I want to hear more of the first one. Yeah. Have you played Ninja Gaiden 3 at all? Or No. So no. I, I was never big on the Ninja Gaiden series because I was bad at them. Okay. Okay. I, I played, or I tried to play the first one. Mm. Um, I, I used to have the Tiger handheld of the... For, for Ninja Gaiden. Obviously, that doesn't count. You poor soul. No, I know. <laughs> uh, I, I found that to be easier than the NES game. Okay. I mean, there was no end to that one, but right. like, I could at least get somewhere. The mm. NES game, I was just like, I did not understand how to play those games. Mm. And uh, probably until I watched you play through the first one one time when you were in oh, your the second apartment. one. Probably the second one. The second one, one I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've never, I don't, I may have beaten the first one once. And if I did, it was like on emulator because I definitely mm. have never beaten it on like the TV. Yeah. I was introduced to the series with the second game. So uh, that was one that I just loved, completely fell in love with. I got it when I got my TV in my bed, mm. in my bedroom mm -hmm. when I was a kid. So yeah, it was like 1990. I think it was like right around the time when it came out and I got a TV. I was like, sweet, now I can play this in my bedroom. <laughs> the third game is notoriously difficult because in the US version, I guess they get a lot of flack for the second version because it is an easier game. Mm -hmm. And so the third game, they were like, well, we're gonna give you limited continues. <laughs> so it's it's artificially difficult. Yeah, yeah. Because of that. I remember. Uh, Ryu also moves a little bit slower. He's a little bit meatier, I guess you could say. He's been working out. Yeah, he's been working out. Yeah, he's a little slower. He's got, instead of his uh, normal slash with his sword, it uh, it feels different. It's a slower attack, but also it has like a wave to it. You can power it up and get like a wave oh. to the sword, which like gives you a little bit more of an extension when you attack. And they also added a sound effect for Ryu when he slashes with a sword. So he goes like, huh. 
Oh. Yeah, yeah. So pretty cool. I mean, they were trying to push the boundaries. Yeah, yeah. Uh, these games have always been, you know, great graphically, uh, very cinematic. Yeah, but that's one of the things that I will always give this series. Like, I, I wasn't good at it, and I didn't get it, but it looked awesome. Yeah. I mean, you have that uh, square painter. Oh, the yeah, I have a painting done by Square Painter, yep. which is the uh, scene where in Ninja Gaiden 2, when you're climbing up the mountain, when you're about to go face off against Ashtar. So, mm -hmm. yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Ninja Gaiden 3, or III, <laughs> the ancient <laughs> okay. ship of doom. Uh, the, just real quick about the story. The story is uh, you're playing as Ryu Hayabusa, the ninja, and he is framed for the murder of Irene Liu, who is an FBI agent and also your girlfriend. Oh. Yeah, not, not your sister slash love interest, your actual love interest. So you... You know, you had two games to meet her and kind of fall in love with her or whatever. And then by the second game, you're like, you know, you're with her towards the end, at least. And then the game is basically you're trying to clear up your murder because you're being framed for her murder. Right, 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 right. right. So wait, so you didn't kill her. No, you did not. So so <laughs> Ryu did not kill Irene. Oh, so good. he's trying to prove his innocence, basically. So, yeah, good, good stuff. Uh, this game got a lot of different ports, uh, but the reason why I went with the Super NES port is because I wanted to showcase how atrocious the music <laughs> is. It it's like night and day all the music in this game in the in in the Ninja Gaiden trilogy that they came out with. It's so bad. Yeah, like it, I heard that first one, mm -hmm. and like we were both rocking out. That song was awesome. Yeah, like on fire. Yeah, and then I heard the second one, and I just like mm -hmm. I just shot you a dirty look. And yeah, like it, I, there I, were some expletives. It, it, it was it's a travesty. Like yeah. you, you took this shreddy awesome metal song and then added garbage. Yeah, like, the, the the sampling wouldn't be bad if it sounded better that's all i can say like those horns towards the end <laughs> oh yeah they just like <laughs> toss these horns in and here's the thing and, and and a lot of people don't realize this but the original nes ninja gaiden they released an album like an arranged album mm. later on mm. like in japan and the album was literally the nes versions of the songs but with additional sound channels Kind of like Akamajo Densetsu. I was just going to say what you would get if you had like... Castlevania 3. Yeah, yeah. Right. So, and when you listen to those versions, because they're on an NES sound font and style, you're like, oh my God, this song would have been amazing if they added all this like extra detail and stuff. Mm -hmm. There's like, it's so much more richer yeah. sounding. And instead of doing something like that, this time around with the Super NES version, they were like, we're going to take the concept of adding additional flavors and sounds to it but instead we're gonna make them sound like garbage because of those atrocious horns yeah. like i love super nes instrumentation but it's got to be done in the right way and this is just such a good example or rather a bad example mm -hmm. of when it can go wrong yeah yeah, a, no, it's, it's a good example of when it can go wrong. It's right, a, it's a bad example of what to do. Right, exactly. Like I don't mm. know. Like I, I, I understand limitations around a lot of the stuff, but mm. I feel like they really could have gotten better samples to work from. Like part part of the, part of my issue with the the SNES instrumentation is I just don't think the samples sound very good or yeah. very clean. The that part the the part that really blows me away is. Right before it gets into the right before it gets into that part, it goes down, 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 and it's it's guitar, but it's like they it's almost as if it's like a whammy bar 
on the guitar. Mm. It's going like, wow, 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 wow. And what they did with that on the Super NES version was they just put like farty, like <laughs> sound, like snare synths on it. Yeah. So it's just like, it just, it sounds horrendous. I just, wow. It just blows me away that this version of this song could sound so bad and if you're thinking to yourself oh well it's just this song it's the entire trilogy soundtrack yeah the, no yeah. not no, just the soundtrack the, the entire trilogy soundtrack trilogy soundtrack yeah. right it, it, it's a trilogy it's a one cartridge it's, it's trilogy three game. games right yeah. right so, right yeah. yeah and the games are the, it's such a huge downgrade too like the only thing that got upgraded was the graphics and when i say upgraded i'm talking like reskinned basically oh yeah yeah like slightly higher visual you know 16-bit palette but it's not 16-bit size it's not like they went in and completely redesigned the graphics made the sprites larger anything like that yeah. it's literally just the nes game running slower and chunkier it's that's awful it's not good man it's no. not good don't mess up a good thing <laughs> don't mess up a good thing so yeah <sighs> i i don't know i wanted to showcase how bad something like this could be yeah yeah and uh i did search for the arranger couldn't find any details unfortunately so the composers on this one sugito miyashiro started off with bad news baseball in 1989 mm. uh then did sound effects on ninja gaiden 2 dark sword of chaos then kind of bouncing around here they did kagero deception 2 in 1998 i think that came out on the ps1 where they were the sound composer on that uh, then followed it up with Monster Rancher 2 in 1999. They did a couple other games here and there, but their final game was Super Shot Soccer in 2002, where they're credited for sound. Kaori Nakabai is a little bit more well-known in terms of the name, at least as far as me personally. Uh, their first game was Radia Senki Ramahen in 1991, and then they did Ninja Gaiden 3, and then Tecmo Super Bowl in 1993, Distrega in 1998 for the PS1. That's got great music. Uh, Winback, Covert Operations. So at that point, they were working with Koi, uh, I think before they jumped on uh, and combined with Tecmo. Because hmm. Koi got bought out by Tecmo, and they yeah, became yeah. Koi Tecmo. So uh, they did Winback, Covert Operations on the N64 in 1999, and then they did Guitaru Man in 2002, and then Onimusha Tactics in 2003. So I don't necessarily know if they were a employee of Koi. They may have been a freelancer because they kind of bounced around yeah. huh. working on various different games. Uh, so, yeah. Rika Shigino is the final composer and they only did three games. Radia Senki, which we just talked about, Ninja Gaiden 3, and Tecmo Super Bowl. Huh. Yep. They are also given a special thanks on the Samurai Pizza Cats Famicom Ooh. game. Kyoto Ninden Teyandi. That's a fun game. Yeah, such a good game. <laughs> All right, let's get into your first pick. I'm I'm intrigued. What All do you right. got? So this is actually revisiting something that we talked about a while back. Mm. Uh, the game is known as Power Strike or Aleste, depending on who or where you are. Yeah. We're going to listen to the Sega Master System and the MSX2, I think, version. Uh, they both came out in 1988. The track is The Devastation, and we'll start with the Sega Master System. This was... Uh, composed originally by Masamoto Miyamoto and Takeshi Santo, and this was arranged by Takuyaki Hirono.
All right, that was the Sega Master System version of Power Strike or Aleste song, The Devastation. And now we're going to listen to the MSX2 version, which was, again, composed by Masatomo Miyamoto and Takeshi Santo and arranged by someone named, or someone who goes by Shinkan. Right, welcome back. That was two different versions of a song from Power Strike or Aleste. We are the Sega Master System version, followed by the MSX2 version. Both came out in 1988. The track was The Devastation. The composer on both of them was Masatomo Miyamoto and Takeshi Santo. And the Master System version was arranged by Takeyuki Hirono. And the MSX2 version was arranged by Shinkun. I was digging this song. It was good. I... I will say I prefer the Master System version to uh, to the uh, MSX version. Not not that yeah. it's bad. You know, it just felt a little I th- bland. I think I I think I agree with you. There there's so there th- there are things that I like about both. Yeah. But all I really have to say about the MSX2 version is that it feels smoother. Is kind of the only word that I can that I, that a I can bit come more up with. Chill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, mm. it's a little bit mellow. It, it's a it's 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 a less like chippy. It doesn't have that attack of the chip. Yes. You yes. know. But that's also one of the things that I like about the Sega Master System version is just how kind of crunchy it is. I I know we use that word a lot for a lot of chiptunes, but (laughs) like this is what I feel is one of the best comparisons of that. Like what you get in the MSX2, there is no crunch to that. It sounds more musical or smooth, more legato. Mm -hmm. But the Master System version is just like it's it's so very chippy. Uh. Yeah, <laughs> for sure, for sure. I also think that the harmonized part mm. in the Master System just sounds so much more clean sounding when it's combined. But at the same time, I did feel that the beginning part mm-hmm. kind of annoyed me a little bit. Like it got a little bit too repetitive before that. Dana, dana, dana. Before that part came in, yeah. the beginning just kind of. It, it got a little bit almost like annoying in the beginning <laughs> on the Master System version, yeah. but when that other part was introduced, it really kind of helped amplify the uh, the track into uh, getting the sound away from that more like annoying kind of uh, font. So yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. I, I I also had um, 
not much to say, but I also had like written down the harmonies in particular on the Master System version. They were more prominent. Like when, when the harmonies were going, I was aware that there were harmonies on the MSX version. I, I There may have been harmonies there, but like they didn't really stand out to me. And then the other thing that I noticed on the Master System version is there's this part happens a couple times where the, the melody gets really high and like echoey. Yeah. And it kind of gives me like this like space feeling like mm. uh, either like an ice cave or like flying off into space something like that but it, it gets really like kind of like twinkly and and echoey and i thought that was really neat and i didn't feel that in the like it's one of the things that the msx version felt like it was lacking to me yeah this song didn't feel as master system y in terms of the sound we talked about this a lot on the master system episode but we played this not this track but we played right. this game on that we did uh, play a, a on that. track from this game and you know most of the a good chunk of the Master System music is very, to me at least, very somber sounding, mm-hmm. uh, which we talked about a bit on that episode. So if you uh, if you liked what you heard in this Master System version and you want to hear more, definitely go check out our Master System episode that we did uh, a while a little while back. Yeah, 40, 40 something. something. Yeah, something like the 49 or something like that. Yeah. Cool. So yeah. uh, we do, I mean, we also talked about this game, too. I, I was just going to say, like, yeah. I, I don't know how much we, we need to retread old <laughs> old stuff, but the the game itself, Aleste, is a vertical shmup. So you are, you're going up the screen, mm-hmm. uh, not left or right. The story uh, is about a man-made supercomputer named uh DIA51, which gets infected by a, uh, a virus that starts spreading, uh, eventually leading it to eliminate the human race. Uh, when Yuri, who is Ray's girlfriend, gets injured in the assault, uh, Ray, he's the main character, has all the reason in the world to get rid of DIA51 once and for all in his Aleste fighter. Right. So... This is, if I recall, this is the game that you had to mail away for. I think so. Yeah, which is why it's super rare in the U.S. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, it it came out, I think it was only Aleste in Japan. Outside of Japan, it was... Power Strike. Power Strike, yeah. yeah. The U.S. Um, was a mail-only limited edition. Right. Uh, although it did get some release at uh, Toys R Us, hmm. but it must have been very, very limited. Yeah. So the composers on this one, they are uh, yeah. different, right? The original composers, Takeyuki Hirono and Masatomo Miyamoto and Takeshi Santo. I'll uh, we'll talk about them real quick first before going on to the arrangers. Miyamoto started out doing music in Lunar Pool in 1985, did music in Godzilla in 85 as well, Jaguar 5 in 1987, The Guardian Legend in 1988, Aleste, Aleste Gaiden, Aleste 2... And Mo, the, their final game was Cyber Knight in 1990. Mm. And then Takeshi Santo started out in the audio world doing sound on Golvelius Valley of Doom in 1987. That's a Master System game, yeah. Yep. And then did new music in Tombs and Treasure in 1988, music on The Guardian Legend, and then sound effect on Psycho Chaser in 1990 and Override in 1991. That was their last audio credit. Mm. For the MSX version, Shinkun is listed in Moby Games, but there is nothing, like, there's no link. There, so uh, if there are any other games that were arranged or touched by them, I am not aware. Mm. But Takeyuki Hirono, for the Sega Master System version, did start doing things uh, way back in 1985 with Lunar Pool. They did sound programming. Jumping up, they did music programming on Golvelius Valley of Doom in 1987, U.S. Championship V-Ball in 1989, 
Fine. And that seems to be their last music programmer. Everything else is Sound Driver, Sound Programmer. All the way up to 1994 is their last credit for Mado Monogatari 2, Arle 16 Psy for the Game Gear. So the Master System version of this is the original version. Is it? Uh, that's the feeling that I get, but I could be completely wrong. I mean, you might be right. You... I feel like you might know more about it than I would. I don't remember, but I'm almost positive that the Master System version, and again, don't quote me on this, mm. but I, if I recall the Master System version of Power Strike or Aleste or whatever, mm -hmm. came out in 1988, mm -hmm. and it's the first game in the franchise. Yep. And then Compile, who's the developer, released the game to the MSX computer later on, or, or at the same time. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So then I, I misunderstood the the arrangement for, uh, for for Takeyuki Hirono. So, I mean, by the sound of it, it sounds almost as if Masatomo Miyamoto worked on the soundtrack, and then it got arranged for the MSX by Takeshi Santo and Shinkun. So technically, Maybe. they would also be on the Master System port, and Takeyuki Hirono may have worked on it in terms of the sound chip. I don't know. I, this is all Maybe. speculation. Wild. <laughs> wacky, wild and crazy kids specula speculation, so. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I mean, if, if, if anybody out there knows, feel yeah. free to let us know, and yeah. we, will, uh, we will correct on a future episode. For sure. All right, let's get into a licensed game mm. uh, called Cool Spot. This came out on the Amiga in 1993, and the track is called BGM05. That was the only name that I could find for it. And the arranger on this is Andrew Barnabas, but the original composer's Tom. Tommy Tallarico.
Thanks for joining us back on XVGM Radio's Same Song, Different System episode. This song that you just heard was from Cool Spot on the Amiga. This came out in 1993. It's called BGM05, and it's by Tommy Tallarico with an arrangement from Andrew Barnabas. Now we're going to take a listen to Cool Spot on the Game Boy in 1994. So one year later, this track is called BGM4. Same song, just different name. And it's by Mark Cooksey, who is the arranger. And again, the original is by Tommy Tallarico. Welcome back. That was Cool Spot on the Game Boy that came out in 1994. And that original song, BGM4, was composed by Tommy Tallarico. And it was arranged by Mark Cooksey for the Game Boy, who was uncredited. Mm. So, oh. Yeah. So let's talk about the Amiga version first. I hope you listened to it with headphones, because if you <laughs> didn't, go back and listen to it. 
with headphones. Yeah, I was gonna say if you didn't, you missed half the song. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's so weird. Like, yeah, I was digging it for the most part, but it really like until you said I had I only had one what one headphone on right. when we started listening, and then you mentioned the stereo, and I was like, oh, let me hear, and then I was like, there's a whole other half of this right, song. Right, right, right. Normally in a stereo style song, and again, I don't know if this version of the song that we grabbed is like an anomaly mm. in the sense that maybe other versions of the, like this was the best sounding version that I found when I listened to it on my laptop, which has mono speakers on the actual laptop and then I have stereo computer speakers that mm. are plugged into it. Mm. So when I picked this song, it sounded okay because I was listening on the mono speaker. Oh, yep, yep. Actually, I think I picked it on my phone when I was picking songs for this episode. Oh, that's super mono. Yeah, yeah, that was super mono. <laughs> so when I heard it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty good. Not realizing how much stereo work they did. It almost feels like extra effort to make <laughs> those instruments stand out even more. Yeah. And I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It's a weird thing. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. That's, I mean, that's for sure. <laughs> hearing the bass drum in the left ear and then immediately afterwards hearing the snare drum in the right is the weirdest feeling ever. Can you imagine if you listen to, I don't know, like Slayer's Rain and Blood or something like that, or just like anything like uh, Metallica, Enter Sandman, or like ACDC or, or whatever, any hard rock music or even like pop music or whatever, and you only got for the entire song the snare in one ear and the bass drum in the other, <laughs> your mind would go a little loopy, in my opinion, at least. Yeah. It was weird. And then, like, I will say that the sounds on the Amiga were better in terms of the actual sounds themselves. I preferred mm -hmm. the drums on the Amiga to the Game Boy version. I thought the Game Boy version, the snare was just not punchy at all. And just kind of like, it's just like a, you know? <laughs> Instead of like, bah, bah. Yeah, like, yeah. then Amiga really took advantage of that 16-bit sound. So I think overall, sound-wise, I preferred the Amiga version, but just like the stereo conversion is just so... So weird. So weird that it like almost ruined it for me. But I'm going to vote for the Amiga version personally. Yeah, I had a couple other weird, uh, like weird kind of issues with the Amiga version. For one, there was this breakdown that happens in the middle of the song that was just really weird and wacky. Like it wasn't yeah. bad per se, but it just, it felt kind of out of place to me. Agreed. And then um, like it, I, I guess the song speeds up or something as, as it goes along. Cause then there's like a brick wall. Like it just slows down and it felt like hitting a brick wall. Yeah. It was like <laughs> time signature change to the max. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the Game Boy version didn't really have that. No. And that's yeah. the thing. So like the Game Boy version uh, is my, out, out of the two is my pick because I feel like the Game Boy version is, it feels more fun. Yeah. Um, and it still has some stereo effects, but they're not nearly as jarring as they are on the Amiga. Yeah. I can get on board with that as far as you, you picking that one. I, I can understand that. And, <laughs> and it definitely, does have that more like beach kind of feel to it yeah. with those those lead synths in the beginning especially like do 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 it's yeah. very fun and charming and happy <laughs> like so. like as soon as the song started playing i was like all right let's go where are yeah, we going yeah. what are we doing <laughs> everybody always talks about the 16-bit version of this game on the genesis and for good reason it's a good version 
of not only the game, but also the soundtrack by Tommy Tallarico. So that's the version that everybody always talks about. But I wanted to showcase two versions that never really get much mm. press in the VGM community. So yeah, that's why I picked Cool Spot for the Amiga and Cool Spot for the Game Boy. Nice. But I believe for the most part, the games are the same. Just obviously the Game Boy version is scaled down quite a bit, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. So explain this license property to us. Uh, cool Spot? <laughs> Oddly enough, so Cool Spot was uh, 7-Up's mascot back in the day. Before Orlando Jones. Yes, before Orlando Jones. <laughs> wow, you're really dating yourself <laughs> mentioning that. Make 7-Up yours. Yes. Which is such a weird, <laughs> bad campaign. I loved it. Anyway. It was very 90s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in Europe, mm -hmm. there was a different character who was the mascot, which was Fido Dido. Fido Dido was this, like, weird 2D character that you may have seen in the 90s just, like, hanging out. It's just a dude with a scrappy haircut. I remember talking about Fido Dido on Pixel Tunes Radio with Ed because I think one of us picked a song from the Fido Dido. On, I think it was, like, either an unreleased game or, like, some game. It was, like, one of the later episodes, if I recall. And Fido Dido was a character that was created by Joanne Ferrone and Sue Rose. They just kind of came up with this little doodle on a napkin, and next thing they know, <laughs> it's like on t-shirts everywhere. And it was super popular in like New York, and yeah, it's pretty crazy. So Fido Dido was licensed to PepsiCo mm. in 1988, but pretty much became the mascot in Europe for 7-Up. So yeah. A little bit of nostalgia trip there for you. But yeah, so Spot was the mascot in everywhere else. And he's just like a little dot, like a little red dot. He's got shades on and he's got arms and legs connected to like little spaghetti pieces <laughs> on his body. And he wears sneakers and he's a mascot, basically. So you go through the game in different levels, just collecting stuff. It's basically a collect-a-thon platformer but it's made by Virgin Games, and it's uh, really good. Actually, the Game Boy version was developed by NMS Software, but it was still published by Virgin Games. Hmm. So Tommy Tallarico did the Genesis and Super NES music, and then the game was ported to Game Gear Master System by Matt Furness. Andrew Barnabas did the Amiga version, and Mark Cooksey did the Game Boy version. So hmm. got some real heavy hitters as far as talent goes. Yeah, yeah. Regarding the Arrangers, Andrew Barnabas, let's start with him for the Amiga version. Mm. He has been in the game since 1991, where he started with a game called SWIV. He also worked on Double Dragon 3, The Rosetta Stone, making Mac Global Gladiators, Cool Spot, Pinball Dreams 2. I mean, what he was doing was he was converting games over to the Amiga that were done by Virgin. Oh, yeah. So he probably worked with Tommy Tallarico to get those games converted over to the Amiga. Hmm. Then later on, he worked on Frogger in 1997. I believe that is the PlayStation version, but don't 97? Me on that. Yeah. That sounds right. Yeah. Beast Wars Transformers in 97. He worked on Medieval doing the soundtrack and Medieval 2. Hmm. So, you know kind of a big deal there. Then he worked on Primal in 2003. His final game was the recent Medieval 2019 mm. re-release. I don't know if, or remake or whatever. I don't know if that was a full-on reboot 
remake or if he's just credited for the original tunes. I don't know if those were remade in that game. He also did additional voice directing on the theme song for Nino Kuni, Wrath of the White Witch remastered. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Which I think came out on the Switch. Yeah. The remastered the re- and maybe uh, PS4. The Mark Hooksy version was done by Mark Hooksy, and <laughs> uh, he's uncredited for it, but he has a long list of games that he has been working on for conversion, starting off with Airwolf in 1985, Paperboy in 1986, Ramparts in 87, Life Force in 88. Now keep in mind, I believe that is the conversion over to the Amiga, I believe. Hmm. Either that or the Game Boy. I'm not entirely sure. Again, he mostly worked with Game Boy, Amiga, Super NES. Like he he did some of that stuff as well, but like a large chunk of his stuff was Game Boy. Hmm. We last played a song from him, I believe, on the... Not this past Spooky Fest, but the one previous to that, where we did Dr. Franken. Oh, yep, yep. Or Dr. Franken 2. I can't remember which one, but yeah. Pinball Fantasies in 95, Mass Destruction in 97. That was a really fun tank destroy-it-all game on the Saturn and PS1. Let's jump way forward. Rabbids Rumble in 2012 is his newest game that he's credited for. And that's about it. Yeah, he's got a really huge history with uh, them. And Tommy Tallarico, I don't really know if we need to talk about him. He's done a lot. And (laughs) we've talked about him in previous episodes. Very true, very true. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that brings us to combo number four here. Not Mambo number four. Or five. No. 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 This is combo. So the the tracks that you're going to hear next are going to be from a game called Ninja Remix. We're going to listen to the uh, the Amiga and the Atari ST versions. They both came out in 1990. The track is called Title Screen, also known as the Inner Sanctum on both versions. And both versions were composed by Jacques and Hippo. And we're going to listen to the Amiga version first.
All right, that was the Amiga version of Title Screen or the Inner Sanctum from Ninja Remix, which came out in 1990 by Jochen Hippel. And now we are going to listen to the Atari ST version. Welcome back. That was the Atari ST version of Title Screen Inner Sanctum from Ninja Remix. Came out in 1990 on those consoles and was composed by Jochen Hippel. I actually, I 
remember talking about this composer before. Uh, I believe it's Yoshin Hippo. Yoshin. 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 Okay, well, instant yeah. clarification. Apologies <laughs> for my terrible pronunciation. Yeah, I believe it's Yoshin Hippo. So I was really digging that second version. Me too. Like more than the Amiga, which is strange because you'd think with the added bump in technology that that version would be superior. And I think that the arrangement there on the Amiga was way better than the uh, cool spot. Oh, track. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, so I, I will give it that. But the track on the Amiga was punchier. Oh, see, I thought the Atari ST was punchier. Interesting. Hmm. I thought that the drums were tighter and punchier, but hmm. I preferred the tightness of the Atari ST. And it kind of reminded me of a C64 track mm-hmm, mm-hmm. with all the uh, instrumentation kind of sounding more chiptune and yeah. similar. So instead of it all sounding like more advanced and Redbook Audio-ish. <laughs> not that the Amiga is Redbook Audio. It's not. But yeah, right, you get right. what I mean. Yeah, yeah. No, I thought the Amiga version was, was really good. I, I, I like it a lot, actually. Um, I also think the ending of the Amiga version is like really bright and, and kind of fun. Yeah. But the Atari ST, like with the opening, just really like caught my ear. I, I don't even know what to call the effect that they're using, but <laughs> the, it, it's the same, technically it's the same music. Like it's the same, not sound. It's the same notes being played in the, in the same sort of order, but they mm. are handled differently on both of these consoles. Mm. And I, I just like, I don't know how to like how to describe it other than like it felt kind of bubbly mm. or like staccato with with like a weird echo. Yeah, I, I was thinking arpeggio or arpeggiated at first, but that's not the right. Aren't arpeggios when you just take the the notes of a, of a chord and play them individually instead of all together? The ending felt arpeggiated. Yes, yes. Yeah. The, the ending it did, but like the the opening in in particular, there's just this really really cool effect that, like I said, caught my attention right out, right out the gate. And then as it went on. I don't know how to explain how I felt that it was punchier, but like I just felt the the Atari ST version had more of a punch to it, maybe less so in the percussion section and just more in the notes and the way they're being played. The bass on this sounded a lot more buzzy, mm. and that's mostly, I think, due to the sound processor, but yeah, it just sounded a lot more buzzy than the Amiga. It's a... Yeah, and I mean, you know me and buzzy bass. Yeah, buzzy, buzzy, buzzy bass. So, pretty cool stuff. I've never heard of this game, though. Uh, Ninja Remix? Yeah. So you So, maybe you've heard of... Or is of... it Ninja Remix? <laughs> <laughs> it's part of the last Ninja series. Ah, okay. So now that makes sense. Yeah, so uh, Ninja Remix is the last Ninja um, just on the Amiga and the Atari ST. <laughs> oh, okay then. It's, it's, it's literally just that. So It's not changed up at all? Not from what I can tell. So the last Ninja came out in 1987. Like yeah. originally, like it was the, the Commodore 64 was like the flagship console of the series, I guess. Yeah, Date came that. out on a bunch of different stuff. Right, but it was primarily a C64 game. Right, um, and then it, like it also came out in DOS and BBC Micro and the mm. Apple IIgs. Like we're not going to cover all of this because it's not what this is about. But Ninja Remix then came out in the Amiga and the Atari ST in 1990. Last Ninja 2 came out on Commodore 64 in 88 and I'm going to start CPC and all this stuff. Last Ninja Remix came out on the C64, ZX Spectrum, and Amistrad CPC. So it, it's just, it, it's a very kind of 
big franchise from the late 80s, early 90s. There was supposed to be a PlayStation version that got canceled. Oh. Um, and then in 2004, there was another potential like PS2, Xbox, GameCube thing that got canceled. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize that there were that many games in the franchise. I knew that there were two games. And I know that they got ported all over the place, but I didn't realize that there were that many. Yeah, a total of three different games. Mm. Last Ninja, Last Ninja 2, and Last Ninja 3. Last Ninja 4 never actually got made, and mm. the other ones. And then Last Ninja Remix and Ninja Remix are just basically ports of the other games. It's cool. But yeah, it's pretty neat. It's uh, So the, the Last Ninja series... The games are, are very similar to each other. They're the blend of like exploration, puzzle solving, and combat. The object overall is to guide the main character, the ninja Armakuni, on his journey to the palace. Uh, the bad guy is an evil shogun, Kunitoki, and your ninja character is trying to assassinate this evil shogun to avenge his clan and retrieve some sacred scrolls. Mm. So cool. as you go through, there's you know, henchmen that become more challenging as they learn the ways of the ninja and you have to defeat them as they get more and more difficult to do it's kind of got an isometric view like a three quarters almost reminds me of like the uh scum games like the monkey island uh and stuff like that right where it's point and click and you have like a three-quarter view of, or not scum i'm thinking of sierra uh, it is sierra the quest games oh king's quest, king's uh, quest. space quest stuff like that that, that, that's what I'm thinking of. Oh. Um, I mean, they all have a very similar like point-and-click feel to them, so easy to get them somewhat confused. Yeah. Um, do you have any any experience with the Last Ninja series? or you just? I remember hearing some of the music on an Amiga remix CD that my mm. friend gave me back in the day in like 2004 or five. but other than that, no, I don't have much experience. I mean, I didn't have an Amiga and... I remember hearing about The Last Ninja. I think it got ported on the NES, but I never played it. Hmm. Wasn't there a movie? Probably not related. Or might Probably of, not related. <laughs> or I might, be, I might be thinking of something else. Last Action Hero. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Last Action Ninja. Last, last Action. Last, last action Ninja Hero. <laughs> last Ninja Hero. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to throw shurikens at you. <laughs> <laughs> Get down. Get down. Get to the bathhouse. <laughs> Get to the shrine. Do it. Do it now. All right. Anyways. That's enough. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. So this composer, Yoshin Hippel, as I think you corrected me earlier, started out in the audio world doing sound on the great Gianna sisters in 1988, mm. and then moved into doing music on Duggar in 1988 as well. And then if we're looking at his music composition credits, uh, they, they did Tom and Jerry in 1989, uh, Rings of Medusa in 89. They're, they're very prolific in the 80s and 90s. Uh, we're going to jump up to... Lots of C64 stuff, yeah. Oh, yeah, and Atari ST. Yeah. And this is crazy. Dragonflight in 1990, Turrican mm-hmm. 2, The Final Fight in 91. Yeah. Sound and... Must have worked a lot with uh, Chris Holzbeck. I would imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Most recent music credit was Amberstar in 1992, and their final audio credit was Megaturkin in 1993. They are credited as Seven Voice Technology. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they probably worked with Factor 5 and worked with Chris Holzbeck on that one, too, because yeah. he did the music on that. So, Word up. Word bird. Cool stuff, man. I was digging that. Let's move into a track that... Uh, I mean, it's a super popular track. You're going to know it and probably maybe even know all the words to it, if there were words. 
So this is gonna be Pocahontas. We're gonna hear two different versions of the Pocahontas Colors of the Wind song. This game came out on the Genesis and the Game Boy. However, we are gonna hear the Genesis version second, but the first one we're gonna hear is the Super Game Boy version. <laughs> this could only be heard in a Super Game Boy when you put the Game Boy version in a Super Game Boy. And then put that Super Game Boy in the SNES. That's correct. So this version came out in 1996, same as the Genesis version. And the credit for this, it's kind of difficult. The credit for this is Alan Menken. He's the original composer. I couldn't the, yeah, of the yeah. original music from the Disney Pocahontas movie. I could not find an arranger or a composer other than Alan. Hmm. So okay, all right, let's give it a listen. Thank you. 
Alright, welcome back. That was Pocahontas on the Super Game Boy that came out in 1996. That was Colors of the Wind by Alan Menken, Mark Ortiz, and John Prince. We're going to be listening to the Genesis version, which came out in 1996. That is also going to be Colors of the Wind by Patrick J. Collins and original composition by Alan Menken.
You're back, and that was Pocahontas. That was the Genesis version that we just heard from the 1996 release, and the track was Colors of the Wind. (laughs) Clearly, I am not Pocahontas, but that track was by Patrick J. Collins and Alan Menken, who did the original. Just slight clarification on the Game Boy. Mark Ortiz and John Prince are credited for the Super Game Boy or the Game Boy version of the song. I couldn't find anybody specifically for the Super Game Boy version, but Mm. I did find on the Game Boy version uh, those two. So we'll talk about them in a bit. First off, Justin, what do you think? So I think I like the Genesis version of this a little bit better. I'm also wondering... so. The Super Game Boy version, yeah, slightly different from the original Game Boy version, yes. but we did not listen to that. We we did listen to just the Super Game Boy version. Right. So I'm wondering how they make that alternate audio work. I'm guessing mm. it's on the game cartridge for yeah. the uh, for the the Game Boy game, and it just when you hook it into the Super Game Boy, it it act, it can access that and play the other music. Right. I'm thinking it must be some kind of file that automatically converts it into the Super Game Boy sound font or using or utilizing the Super Game Boy because it wasn't as rich and full as an actual Super NES track. And that's because it sounds like it's using whatever the channels are for the Game Boy, which I think is like similar to the NES in the sense that it's like, I think it's like two wave, one square wave, and then... Yeah, yeah. I, I seem to I, I triangle. Feel like, I feel yeah. like I remember playing games Salty. on the Super Game Boy, yeah. and and the the music was very was pretty much the same as, as I would have heard on the Game Boy. Mm. Just you know, it's coming out of a TV now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm just thinking on that. So if if it's actually in on the cartridge for the Game Boy, yeah. then I would go so far as to say that the people who did. So Mark Ortiz and John Pr- uh, Prince, yeah. who did the Game Boy soundtrack, mm. likely did the stuff for the Super Game Boy. That's what I was thinking, too. That was, like, unlocked, quote-unquote. Right. So I think think that's fair. We'll have Um, to do a Super Game Boy episode at some point in time in the uh, near future. Yeah, I think so, because I'd I'd be more interested to know about more of this stuff. Like, I, Mm. I never realized that there were special things that like some games had that interacted with the Super Game Boy. Like, I loved my Super Game Boy when I when I (laughs) when I had one. And it was just a really cool way to play Game Boy games, yeah. as far as I knew. So for that's sure. Really cool. Yeah, yeah. It's really neat. The Super Game Boy, there's a lot that we can talk about. So we'll have to do a full episode on it because there's plenty of games that actually take advantage of those sound styles. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe compare the originals with the Super Game Boy versions. But yeah. Yeah. I, I'm with you on the uh, pick for the Genesis. It's faster. There's more percussion. Mm-hmm. And it's weird, like genre-wise, the game or the Super Game Boy version, it almost sounds like reggae, like more towards the later part. <laughs> yeah. Whereas the beginning, it, it sounds like they tried to do like for the instrumentation, like church organs. Yeah. Yep. Yep. So I was sitting there and we were listening to it, and I'm like, and on the second day, Miko was given a cookie, <laughs> and Flit was given water, and Pocahontas said. Let there be eating. I don't know. Yeah. Like, you know, I was just being silly. But, yeah. And then it goes into this weird, like, reggae, like... Yeah. It was definitely odd. It was strange. It was strange. I was really intrigued by it, though. 
And so when I found this version of it, I was like, I gotta play this. Because who talks about Super Game Boy? Like, nobody. Nobody. So, yeah, yeah I thought it was pretty, pretty yeah. neat. So the one thing that I will say that I didn't like as much about the Genesis version is it it felt very kind of mechanical. Okay. Like, there there was no syncopation or, or any, like, any of the, like what you would hear in the singing melody. Like yeah. the, the regular melody was just like on the beat, bah, on bah, time. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, there yeah. was no emotion to it. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. And <laughs> the one thing I will say that the Genesis version had over the Super Game Boy version is the secondary verse where in the song she goes, how high the sycamore grows, but if you cut it down, then you'll never know. And they include that part in the Genesis version, not in the Super Game Boy version. Right. And so when I was listening to it, I was I was specifically like, oh, she she gonna hit the they gonna hit the high note with it? <laughs> and they did, but it was just so flat and uninspired sounding. It was just like, you know, and if you cut it down, then you'll never know. Uh, I need a beer. Like it's like I picture like if Barney from The Simpsons oh. and like Pocahontas got together and had a kid and her name was like Barnahontas. Cut it down. Never know. Good lord. How high is the sycamore grow? Yeah, so that's what I think about now and then. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I wish I could help you. <laughs> uh, I love this movie, first off. This is a fun movie. It's great. I mean, I also have a, a ton of nostalgia for it because my brother and I used to watch it all the time. Like, I loved all the, like, old school Disney movies, starting mm -hmm. with, like, Little Mermaid. Like, uh, that was my first, like, love, love, love this movie. That and uh, Oliver and Company. Yes. Great movie. <sighs> and then... You know, they started pumping out these Disney movies, and with it, they made all these great games with it. And then, like, the mid-90s happened, and the games got worse and worse and worse. And this game is not good. Like, <laughs> it's such a disappointment as compared to the movie. Like, it's a bigger focus on puzzles hmm. and no combat really i mean you're pocahontas like what are you gonna, I was gonna fight? say yeah like if, you, if you're playing as pocahontas i feel like there there wouldn't be a whole lot of combat yo they they could have made it so good though like she could have been fight like calming bears down with the sound of her voice like maybe like she shoots out like a wind burst and like knocks the bear over or something like like that mm. sort of stuff and then like the later levels they could have been fighting the englishman and she's trying to get back to her home base but the forest is on fire and they you know like they really could have elaborated and like made it something true true cool, but they wanted to go in a non-combat i was gonna say I, I feel like they wanted to go in a non-violent direction with right. it and and that makes sense for yeah. the movie i mean the movie has some action, action yeah. to it some certain action scenes but for the most part it's more of a drama yeah, yeah. with comedy elements than you and know music yeah the, and obviously music <laughs> But yeah, I loved Colors of the Wind, the original by Alan Menken. You know, he's supposedly worked on other games as well. The Kingdom Hearts oh, games, he, yeah. he's credited under those. Disney Beauty and the Beast, uh, Disney Aladdin, <laughs> or, you know, Aladdin. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah. Disney's Hades Challenge in 1998. I mean, he's credited for the original songs Pieces, yeah, yeah. that have come out. His latest credit in video games is Disney Getaway Blast in 2020 for a whole new world. Hmm. Yes. 
the Game Boy and Super Game Boy version, Mark Ortiz, he's done quite a bit, starting off with Olympic Summer Games in 1996, then continued to work with Disney for Toy Story, Disney Timon and Pumbaa Jungle Games in 97. I mean, he mostly stuck with either Warner Brothers licenses with stuff like Men in Black, the series, or he worked with sports franchises like NHL 2000, FIFA 2000, and then jumped back over to continue working with Disney on stuff like Pixar Toy Story 2, Pixar Bugs Life. Final game that he's credited for is Galador Defenders of the Outer Dimension in 2002, where he's credited for music. John Prince only has one audio credit, has a bunch of other programming, design, and production credits. There's a really good chance that John Prince was the reason why a lot of Disney and a lot of like FIFA, Madden, like those types of like EA type games Mm -hmm. got Game Boy, Super Game Boy audio upgrades. So he may be in charge of a lot of that working with Nintendo or working with the developer on Hmm. that. So he's only credited for the Game Gear music and sound effects for Shaq Fu in 1995. (laughs) That's it. Gotcha. He's not even credited for the Pocahontas, so, you know, <laughs> is what it is. But he, in another source that I found, he's credited for this, so. Nice. The Genesis version is credited to Alan Menken and Patrick J. Collins. Patrick J. Collins started off with Legend of Karandia in 1992, doing sound on that, as well as the follow-up Legend of Karandia Hand of Fate in 1993, and just continued working in the Legend of Karandia series. Also did a bunch of licensed stuff like Maui Mallard in Cold Shadow, which is a really cool game. Gargoyles in 1995, Mm. Disney's Toy Story in 95, Pocahontas, and then Nightmare Ned in 1997. And right after 101 Dalmatians Escape from Devil Manor in 97, their final game where they did additional music is Revenant in 1999. And that is my final pick. And that's all I got to say about that. I kind of want to watch Pocahontas now. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, yeah. Genesis version was better. And the Super Game Boy version was just weird. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> like fair. genre melding. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let, let's see uh, what, what we're going to wrap up with here. This is going to be Arch Rivals. This came out in the NES in 1990 and the Sega Game Gear in the Genesis in 92. We're going to listen to the NES and the Game Gear versions. The track is track two or title screen, and the NES version is composed by David Wise.
All right, that was the NES version of track two, title screen from Arch Rivals, which came out in 1990. And now we're going to listen to the Sega Game Gear version that came out in 1992. Welcome to the end of our same song, different system extravagunza (laughs) that what you just heard was the Sega Game Gear version of track two title screen from Arch Rivals that was 
composed or arranged by Mark Cooksey, and that came out alongside the Genesis version in 1992. This just has a totally different vibe than the David Wise NES version. Yeah, well, it's weird because, like, the song, as we've been saying all along, the yeah. song is the same. Yeah. But yeah, like a lot of the other stuff that we've heard, it's interesting how you go from one platform to the other and you take what's essentially the same composition and make it feel completely different. Yeah. Like it felt, I want to say, going back to something that we, we mentioned earlier uh, in, in one of the other comparisons, it felt kind of smoother on the Game Gear than it did in the NES. I feel like I hear a lot of Mark Cooksey's style, mm. if you will, in this version, in the Sega Game Gear version. It just sounds more like something he would compose than something David Wise would compose. Hmm. And I think part of that is because there's a lot more flourishes in the Master System version. Like... The same beat is there. Do 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 do. That that's still there, but you've got a lot of like like. There's a lot more keyboard runs, kind of up and down on the Game Gear version that I picked up on. Even if they were there on the NES version, they stand out so much more vibrantly on the Game Gear version, whereas the NES version. It sounded a little bit more hollow. It mm. didn't sound as full, but it did sound a lot sharper on the NES. Whereas on the Master System, and this might be partially because of the Master System, but also partially because it's Mark Cooksey, the notes to me fell flatter. Mm. So it's mm -hmm. weird. It's like a give and take. If I had to pick <laughs> a favorite, I would say probably the Master System version, but not to take away from what you know david did on the nes obviously it's his track but it just kind of felt better on the master system yeah i don't i don't know if i can really pick between the two because there, there are things that i like about both of them and then there are Same. things that are just like it's not that i like one over the other they're just different like the main thing that i think of is the clap sound effect on the mm -hmm. nes it is very much just like a white noise like it, it could, it could just as well be a snare as yeah. it could, it could be a clap. True. But on the Game Gear, it feels or sounds very much more like a clap. Like there's something about the attack of that sound mm. that sounds like hands coming together and and everything else, as opposed to just like the white noise that yeah. uh, that the NES is using. And it, again, it's not to say that one is better than the other. I mm. feel like the white noise is crunchier in yeah. some ways than than the sound that the Game Gear is producing for the clap, but then there's other things on the Game Gear that I feel sound crunchier than the NES. So yeah. like there's, it, it, just like you said, it, it, there's a lot of give and take here, and I, I don't think that I can really pick between the two. The NES version just sounds so much more tighter, mm. but the Master System version has a more vibrant sound to it that makes it stand out to me a little bit but more mm. than the than the uh rather not the master system i keep saying master system i was gonna say the like you keep here. saying master system i know and that's but partially because i'm the, not don't wrong. they share i was gonna say don't they share the the same sound chip, sound chip yeah, yeah. So, or uh, for the most part the same sound chip right, right. yeah, yeah. The, the game gear is basically a portable master system yeah again we talked yeah. about it on the master system episode, yeah yeah so, yeah. so okay mm. But, yeah, I don't know. I've never played Arch Rivals. I think it also used to be a Midway game, didn't it? 
Yes. Yeah. Uh, it was a Midway cabinet. It it, yeah. it was uh, an arcade game in 1989 so first. Probably not the original composer then. No, I think the original composer was Dan Forden. Oh, okay. And that then, makes sense. Yeah. And I did not check out the arcade soundtrack, so I'm not sure if the track is the same across all three or four, if you want to include the, the Genesis. Hmm. But yeah, I mean, Mark Cooksey did both the Game Gear and the Genesis, so I assume that they sound very, very similar. David Wise did the NES, and Dan Forden did the original for the arcade. So. Right, and Dan Forden, of course, Mortal Kombat, yep. you know, Mortal Kombat guy. He's the toasty guy. Yeah, I was just going to say. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's a it's a 2v2 basketball game. Uh, it was called A Basket Brawl. So it, mostly normal basketball rules, except there aren't really any fouls, it seems. Like you were encouraged to like punch, kick, and do whatever it takes to, to steal the ball away from the other team. And then oh, wow. Go, go make your points. So pretty much like the predecessor for NBA Jam. I feel like NBA Jam caught me more often than not, and and gave uh, gave the other guys fouls when I when I did stuff like that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, there there are a number of teams that are all made up teams. You can rename the teams if if you want to be like the Denver Nuggets or whatever. There are eight playable characters, and they each have their own unique characteristics. So you've got Blade, who's a crowd pleaser; Hammer, who's a rebound king; Lewis is a top shooter. Mohawk is tough and mean. Stinky Pete. Stinky Pete. Moose is a real champ. Reggie is All-American. Tyrone is a defensive giant. And Vinny is a great player. Oh, you forgot about Reginald McReginald. <laughs> I just like with all of this, Re- Vinny is a great player. Vinny. I, want, he, I, cl- listen, I clearly want Vinny on my team. Vinny, <laughs> he's just a great player. Yeah. He's just such a great player. You don't even know. <laughs> you don't even know, Justin. I don't. You don't know about Vinny. You can't appreciate Vinny. Vinny is beyond. Vinny is all. I don't think you know, but my cousin Vinny is... <laughs> a lawyer. He is? Yeah. yeah. He got me out of a really bad situation in Alabama. But yeah, so it seems pretty neat. I've not played this either, so I don't even know if I've seen it. Like I, I, the I box, think I've seen it. Yeah. I think I've briefly, briefly played it on one of the Midway arcade collections. Oh, maybe, On like GameCube maybe. or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Neat. Yes, indeedy. And we so, already talked about Mark Cooksey. I mean, David Wise, we did an episode with him. I was going to say, we did an entire episode with him, so yeah. I feel like we probably have him down pretty pat yeah we did talk about mark cooksey though so just to give some equal time for david wise here let me pick out a few randos he was actually uncredited now that i'm seeing this for arch rivals oh he was also uncredited for the music and sound in danny sullivan's indie heat in 1991 such a travesty he was uncredited for the original game music in no my my cousin Vinny. in my cousin Uh, on the nes in my cousin Vinny's big adventure (laughs) with a bobo (laughs) <laughs> My cousin Vinny busts loose <laughs> on the Super NES. <laughs> My cousin, cousin Vinny, Vinny busts, busts loose. loose. Oh, Lord. Uh, uh, he was uncredited as the composer on Wizards and Warriors 3, Kuros Visions of Power 92, hmm. and uh, one more that he was credited on. He was credited uh, for the music in Sorcery with an exclamation point in 2013. Gotcha. So I got to ask, what is your favorite combination of tracks in Chocolate total? and peanut butter. Oh, tracks? Yeah, oh. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stay on target. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
I usually don't do this, but I think uh, I'd have to go with the intro. The, the those two Skullman <laughs> they're songs. so good. Uh, I think I'm gonna have to uh, put them together, like mash them up, and then put that out on like the Discord or something That'd for, be dope. for people to listen to after yeah, this comes out. Definitely do that because it, it was it was such a wild thing. I was just like, let me see what this is, and the, mm. this is awesome. Is what this is. Ah oh, man, this is tough. I mean, Ninja Remix was really cool. Mm, I was true. really digging that. It's just <laughs> tough. I'm gonna go with Ninja Remix. <laughs> yeah, th- those were together. Mm-hmm. They were both the best songs in terms of the versions. That's right. Really like those. Now individual tracks, meaning like if you just wanted the Super Game Boy Pocahontas, you know, like that sort of thing. What would you say would be your favorite? The NES version of Ninja Gaiden Three that was killer yeah that um, does slay yeah. yeah i think i'd pick that and then followed up with uh skull man on nes mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. for Mega Man 4 good call good call yeah. so what is your favorite combination of tracks did you hear something new that you never heard before is there something that we said that didn't add up or that you want to correct us on let us know in the comments on discord let us know via email we have tons of different ways that you can tell us and we'll uh we'll get to that right now so we'd like to take a moment to thank our patreon patrons without whom this show's continued improvement would be impossible they are alex messenger cam warma chris hart dan lawton jordan and anson davis kung fu carlito of the heroes 3 podcast scott McElhone, chris myers peter panda the autistic gamer 89 Ed Roth, Brad Austin, Chris Murray, Jeremy Rutz, Lama Adam, Marcus Stewart, Matthew Hanola, Muddle Madness, Nick Davis, and Ryan McPherson. If you would like to become a patron, you can sign up at patreon.com forward slash XVGM radio. There you can see the different tiers as well. Just $1 gets you a thank you and access to our monthly live shows. You can visit our website, xvgmradio.com, where you can listen to all the episodes and learn more about your hosts, as well as any of our guests or composers that we've had on the show. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can always email us at xvgmradio at gmail.com. If you like what you've heard, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. You can join our Facebook group and chat with other VGM lovers at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash XVGM radio, where we talk about everything from current game news to sharing awesome VGM tracks or just talking about the podcast itself. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Our handle on both those sites is at XVGM radio. If you don't have any other social media or just want to try something unique, check us out on our discord group chat links in the show notes. Justin, in two weeks, we are coming back with a regularly scheduled episode, and this time we brought mean some business. Super, we mean business, <laughs> and we brought some super talent. I thought you were going to say we brought some soup. We do, we, I was like, <laughs> we brought some soup for our guests, and I think she's really going to enjoy this soup. I mean, by the time it gets to her, it might be cold. That's true. <laughs> she's, she's across the ocean. She is across the pond in, in England. Is, yeah. yep, she is Lucia Lareza. She is a violinist who does all sorts of violin covers. Uh, there's a lot of really good video game music covers. There's also popular music, movie themes, also TV themes like TV. Game of Thrones and yep. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So if you haven't heard of her, check her out. She's really cool. Uh, you know, get familiar with her before 
we release the episode or don't, yeah. and we'll we'll be asking her a whole bunch of questions. So yeah. if you're not familiar with her, hopefully you will be by the end. If you're familiar with Lindsay Sterling, kind of mm-hmm. like Lindsay Sterling in that way, maybe like England's Lindsay Sterling, if you will. <laughs> well, I mean, she's Italian technically, so. Oh yeah, or Europe, or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There we go. So, uh, yeah. So we'll be coming back with that in two weeks. Kind of, it'll be like a like our lame genie episode where we had lame genie on, and or maybe like Super Thrash Brothers, mm-hmm. where like we compared. Uh, their versions of the song with the original mm-hmm. version. So it's going to be kind of like another same song, different system sort of thing, except with artists. Same song, different instrument. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so in two weeks, we'll see you again with Lucia. This is Mike. And Justin. Signing off for XVGM Radio.